I don't know what's real. I don't know what's not real. Limited Capacity is a collection of six darkly amusing stories about the mysterious ways we interact with the internet and with each other. There's something going on with him. It's like an act. I don't trust him. What? You're staring at me like I should say something, but I don't really know what to do here. That's the whole name of the game. Don't talk about how the town isn't real. Do you understand? Limited Capacity. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC Podcast. Okay, let's uh, let's get right to it. So, John M. Kelly, Doctor John Kelly, I'm gonna I'm gonna ask you the question we ask most of the doctors that we have on the show. Um, are you a medical doctor or a smart person doctor? <laughs> <laughs> I'm I'm I'm, uh, I, I'm not a medical doctor. Yeah, sure. I mean, so humble of you. Yeah, you look <laughs> like a smart person. Uh, you are a PhD uh, and distinguished professor of psychology at Endicott College. Um, and, uh, I gotta say we, so this is a, this is a topic that we have been like looking forward to diving into for quite a while. And it's the topic of, uh, placebo, which, you know, I'm sure some people, uh, some people probably don't know anything about placebo. Um, I know we don't know a whole lot, but like, as far as I can tell, placebo is, and, and I can't wait for you to like, just school me on this. Placebo is like the effect of something, uh, for example, a medicine that doesn't actually do anything, but having an effect because the brain sort of is is playing its own like uh, its believes. own psychosocial trickery that it believes this thing is happening, and so it it actually has an effect. Is, so is, is it witchcraft? Is what we're trying to ask. <laughs> yeah, is, it, is it magic? Yeah. yeah, I mean, it's a, it's a. I always, when I talk about this, kind of start by saying something about the fact that the placebo effect itself is an oxymoron. Mm. Now, you just about touched on it, where you know the placebo effect is the is the effect of something that has no effect, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, Placebos right. have no effects, of course, in and of themselves. There's nothing in the pill that could possibly have any kind of impact and yet there's some sort of effect so the, the even the name of this area of study the placebo effect is sort of a problem right from the beginning and many people have tried to th- come up with different names like the meaning response or you know there are lots of just possibilities you know the the patient practitioner relationship there are expectation effects all kinds of things but we keep coming back to the placebo effect as when- the name that we use Mm. Where, where in, where in, uh, psychology history d- does, does placebo first start getting attention? Like where, mm. when, when does somebody say, oh my God, something's happening, even though there's not actually something happening. Like this is having an I think effect. it was the Salem witch trials was, uh, was exactly <laughs> like, I swear was. I gave them <laughs> the, the, the fake medication, <laughs> but we're seeing positive results. Yeah. Like how yeah. is this possible? Yeah. 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 I mean, Informally, I mean, in terms of, I think, thinking about it in terms of modern times and, and the, what we mean now by the placebo effect, I think the introduction in the 50s, 1950s of, of the randomized control trial to try to figure out do, do drugs work or not. 
and noticing that people amazingly seemed to do remarkably well when they were given an inert placebo. And so that would be where in modern medical and psychological history it started. But the, uh, the notion would go back even further because there are things that are very closely related to placebo effect, like, you know, Pavlov, Pavlov's dog, you know, the mm-hmm. idea of classical conditioning mm-hmm. is, is very tightly linked to placebo. Uh, Because the dog is now responding to the bell, you know, after the bell having been repaired, uh, uh, paired repeatedly with the smell of food. And now Mm -hmm. just the bell by itself creates in the dog. You could call it a placebo effect. They call it, you know, conditioning. But but that's very similar to a placebo effect. You could say Mm -hmm. Pavlov, you know, as it would be a time. Mm-hmm. Okay, so how does I, I know that there's like a quite a link between you know the mind body connection? How how does placebo play into that connection between the mind and the body? Like because I'm guessing that is that is playing a big part in how placebos work in in, in a nutshell. Absolutely. I mean, I don't think placebos can do anything for people without some kind of psycho. It's a psychological effect at the beginning. Mm-hmm. Right. It has to because there's nothing in the pill. So the only way it could possibly have any kind of impact on the person medically or psychologically is through psychological mechanisms. But um, so but I think also the placebo effect and the study of it kind of breaks down the dualistic sort of Cartesian division between mind and body that they are, of course, linked to one another. Mm. You know, that anytime somebody feels sad or depressed. Well, not only do they feel that way in their mind, so to speak, but of course their body, their brain has changed. Mm. So there's not really as much of a separation between these two things, mind and body. We think about them as separate things, but they are very tightly linked to each other. Mm-hmm. Is there like when it, when when we think about placebo, this might sound like a really dumb question, but is placebo um, a like a viable option? for treatment when it comes to illness? Our work um, is about trying to understand uh, ways to use the placebo effect to help patients. So (laughs) to give a very simple example, um, almost all medications that, I would say almost many medications that people use are affected by your psychological state of mind. there's a pretty famous uh, series of experiments where patients who are post-operative, they've, they've had a surgery, I think uh, this is, um, you know, gut surgery, uh, and depending on whether they were new when they were getting their infusion of morphine or any other opioid, the effect of the morphine could be increased by their knowledge that they're getting. It. So in other mm-hmm. words, it's called the hidden open paradigm. And the open mm-hmm. condition, it's like, like you would always, someone comes in, they say, now it's time for your medication. They insert the medication into the line. You know, you're getting it. People get good relief. If that happens instead, uh, by computer, at a time the person is not aware of exactly when it's happening, they get substantially less relief from the drug. So that's like a kind of placebo effect. They're suspected this crazy problem with the name because there's no placebo involved, right? This This is a real drug. But with a real drug, we can change how effective it is depending on what information you give to the patient. Right. Whoa. Just by the, just by the knowledge of it, like sort wow, of, sort so of like, um, someone used this example in a, in a conversation we were having the other day, um, about the senses and how, you know, if you, you could be, you could be in a room, 
um, you know, and the hum of the refrigerator is there. And chances are you actually have no idea that the refrigerator is even humming until it turns off or until somebody alerts you and says, hey, your refrigerator is quite loud. And you go, oh, like there it is. And now now it's there. Mm -hmm. John, something that something about placebo that I had heard, um, I can't remember exactly when I heard it, but it was it was relative to um, athletic performance. And it was uh, it was something to do. The context was uh, in cycling and it was it was to do with um, with uh, there's kind of like a there's kind of like an ever raging debate in cycling as to whether something should be more aerodynamic or light. And these kind of things, you know, if something gets more aerodynamic, it tends to get heavier and cyclists have like a cyclists tend to divide themselves into two groups, more aerodynamic or more lightweight. And and it was that no matter what the the difference is actually negligible but if you tell a cyclist hey i put this thing on your bike and it makes you you know x amount more aerodynamic or i i i i swapped out this part and it made your bike x you know x amount lighter that they could see like up to 15% performance increase even though the actual effect of the of the gear or equipment change was was you know not 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 really not like mm-hmm. negligible in terms of like what you could actually measure, but their bodily performance, the way that they perform from a physical standpoint, was increased up to fifteen percent. Like the, the the number was up to fifteen percent. What mm-hmm. what sort of like what sort of uh, weight does that fifteen percent carry in the in in the real world of like w- of what you study? Is that like is there a do you, do you have a benchmark for how how much you can expect to to gain from a placebo, from a placebo? I think it it was interesting you brought up the cycling example because there's been a, a several studies. I thought we were going a different way. I can come back to that later. But uh, I'm obsessed 15- with cycling, so yes, please. Well, that's very interesting. <laughs> I can I can tell you another another one in a minute. But 15 percent is a is a pretty good change, actually. I think that would be quite yeah. a bit. Right. Yeah. Um, the example I was giving you before about morphine is like 50 percent improvement. Wow. Substantial effect. Wow. It really matters whether you know you're getting that medicine or or not. Uh, You know, these are experiments. So, you know, a question, of course, is important is how long can these kinds of effects last? You know, Mm. the person's, you know, will these things occur over long periods of time or not? I don't think we really know that well. There there have been some longer term experiments and it looks like it could Mm. be that they could last longer. But um, 15 percent is a lot. It, yeah. it makes me think yeah. too that it it like really depends on how the person in question is is perceiving it to impact them too, right? Like I think back to of of a time when I was like eighteen and I used to race sprint canoeing and I started taking creatine for the first time and I thought in my head I was like, oh, creatine, it's, it's pretty like sounds kind of like a performance enhancer. Right, like yeah. I think this is like a a steroid and like I remember taking like my first scoop of it and going on to the water and training. And I was like, Oh, I'm on steroids now. Like, and thinking <laughs> and then like, your, then your thinking, balls started shrinking. And yeah. Like, and then I just got guess, roid rage and yeah, stuff. Sure, and yeah. I was a piece of shit. And yeah. I was like, fuck, I should really stop taking this. Cause I'm just turned into a roid head. And then they were like, <laughs> that has nothing to do with creatine. <laughs> but it actually, but it like, it I felt like your, it made a noticeable yeah, difference yeah. in my performance. And I'm thinking like, what we should really do with cyclists is we should start a cycling team, professional team. Mm-hmm. And, 
tell them that we're, they're all mm-hmm. on steroids yep. and start like hiding it and like just giving them fake well, like sugar injections and sure. shit. Yeah, get mm-hmm. them to and, snort. Uh, and then make uh, like uh, make them feel sugar. It would be a really interesting study because I think half the people would probably respond really well. Like they would be like, oh yeah, I'm, I was kind of the type of guy who would dope anyway. Mm-hmm. And then right. they would perform really well. I bet the other half of the people would be like, Oh fuck! I'm so anxious about getting caught. This sounds and it would good. Probably destroy their yeah, performance. John, idea. how do you feel about the legitimacy of this of this study? <laughs> well, actually, no. There, there's been a study because we were you brought up cycling before. Yes. And, um, and there's been a study that's kind of similar to what you're talking about. That got an enormous <laughs> amount of interest when I was at a conference when I first heard about this study, and uh, there were lots of really great talks, a lot of interesting things. But the journalists who were at the at the conference were super interested. And the idea is, uh, I think the title of the paper, or, or at least of the presentation, was Doping Without Doping. Hmm. Yeah. But the idea is you could do this. Now, I don't think they were really saying you should do it because I, I, this is unethically questionable. But if you, were to give, <laughs> if you were to give cyclists some kind of doping of whatever kind, you know, painkillers or you know, and performance enhancers of one form or another that really do work mm-hmm. and do that in training. And if you were very unethical, you could then sort of tell your cyclist, we're going to keep giving you this stuff. And, you know, we've, we found this new stuff that can't be detected, detected by the, yeah. uh, you know, by the cycling, you know, yeah. authorities, right. Mm-hmm. And then you stop giving them the, the substance, uh, but you, you give them a placebo instead and they think they're getting the substance Whoa. and they've experienced, they've had the, ex, they've had the, the uh, conditioning effect, just like mm-hmm. Pavlov's dog mm-hmm. of getting right. the injection repeatedly that always helped them. And you showed them like with the time trials that they got better. Right. And they did this experiment and people did indeed do better. Wow. wow. They wow. Got the injection of nothing of sailing, but they were lied to and told this is uh, uh, the same drug we were giving you before. And so you could in principle do this to try to avoid, so, but I'm not recommending that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Taylor, we so should call education to, first. I don't want to lose my license. Yeah. <laughs> so what's happening, what is happening in, in the brain of somebody yep. who's being told that they're getting something. You referenced um, you referenced 1950s and and the 1950s and starting clinical like clinical trials of uh, of drugs to obviously find the efficacy and and you know w- how it works and how and and what its you know effects are and everything. Like what is it? What what is what is happening in the person that receives yeah. that is in the placebo group of of a of a trial and that 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 allows them to gain from what they're being given, even though it's not, yeah. it's nothing. Super interesting question. And there's been some really interesting work on this. So I'll, I'll give lots of examples, but uh, let's stick with the idea of um, sort of painkillers. That's that we know more about painkilling properties of placebos than anything else. And it turns out if you condition people, like I was talking about before with morphine, um, and in multiple times, and then have them do something like cycling or, you know, put experimental pain like heat pain or mm-hmm. you know, something like that. Uh, repeatedly, they get the experience, the conditioning of that uh, this works, this uh, painkiller. Then you give them a placebo. They will, again, show a very good response to, um, to the pain. They'll have a pain relief, right? But if when you give them, and you tell them when you give them placebo, this is the, you know, this is the drug again, the painkiller. But if you simultaneously give them with the placebo, you simultaneously and surreptitiously, you don't tell them, you give them naloxone, uh, you know, you know, something that can, that blo- an opioid blocker, basically, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. it blocks the placebo effect almost completely. Whoa. Yeah. 
And what okay. it means, what it means is that inside our own bodies, our own endogenous opioids inside our bodies are being recruited. The person's expecting to get this wow. pain relief. And they're, the endogenous opioids in their body are being, you know, released in sort of in response to this expectation. Um, and that's causing some of the benefit that they get. Okay, wow. so, so, so that makes wow. me wonder then, let's use this example of someone using morphine, but you switch it over to a placebo. Yep. And and uh, it starts to, you know, and they've been on the placebo now for a, a while. I'm assuming that, that that tends to happen. And then then it's time to tell them that we're going to stop giving you morphine. And I think it's pretty, pretty well known that like coming off of opioids comes with a, 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 a quite a quite a significant amount of like withdrawal and symptoms that make it hard to get off an opioid. Does the body then also reproduce some sort of withdrawal? Like, are there symptoms that come with placebo? Yeah, well, interestingly, yes. The, the, the short answer is yes. Oh, There's actually a name, oh. kind of a new name that's uh, been coined called the nocebo effect. Mm. So instead of a placebo, a positive effect, a negative nocebo effect. And we've all had this experience. I mean, if your doctor gives you some new medication, anything, and tells you what the side effects might be, very often we start to experience those side effects and maybe it's really the drug, but maybe it's just sort of our own mind. You know, we're, we're, we're attending wow. to things mm -hmm. like if one of the side effects is headaches, well, we all get headaches every so often or, or muscle pains or, you know, right. some feeling of weakness or any number of things is very easy to sort of create in your mind, this negative <laughs> and pay more attention to it. Yeah, no, God, like, I wish I wish no one told me that I was going to react to my second I was dose of say, fucking like, yeah. Moderna. It's it's so funny because that's like such a common yeah. like shared cultural experience. Right yeah. now. Like people yeah. talking about the second dose, and as soon as I got my second dose, I was like, "Huh?" I mean, uh, just with that, COVID in general. Can, can in COVID in general, I mean, like yeah. as yeah. soon as COVID was in the the, right, the public yeah. consciousness. And you, you know, you then you then you hear someone sneeze, or you go, yes, you sniffle, and then you go, I got it, I got it, it. Yeah. I got it, <laughs> I've got it. <laughs> no. I, I, and then you, the more you think about it, the more you start to feel sick. Right? Yeah, yeah. I yeah. want to stick with this uh, this this thing you brought up, uh, Jeremy. Right? Uh, yeah, yeah. I think you brought this up because I think there's some really. This is one of the I think the most to me exciting and interesting ideas, which hasn't really taken off yet but it's i think it's going to happen it's something because up to now we've been talking about experiments and you know randomized controlled trials and deceiving people which you really can't do you know and the idea is something called to get people off opioids or any drug that they want to get off you know uh one of the problems of course is, is withdrawal and one of the things we know from what this idea of nocebo effects is that people know they're going to have withdrawal and it's worse if you know you're going to have it right it can mm -hmm. get magnified so the idea is something called authorized um, concealment. So you ask the patient, you talk to the patient who's, you know, hopefully motivated, they want to get off the opioid, and you tell them, we're going to titrate down, decrease the amount of opioid that you're going to be getting over time at a rate and time scale, and you won't know when that happens exactly, Whoa. okay? So it's going to sort of slowly go down maybe, or fast, you know, you, don't, you just don't tell them, really. Right, they yeah. have to agree to this, and the AMA, the American Medical Association, says that this is okay, so long as that they have pre-authorized this, it's all right to do. And it would be a way, I think, to help people get off opioids um, more comfortably, more, you know, make it more possible. Mm -hmm. Has this mm -hmm. been attempted? Like, like has, has there been studies going into 
the the effectiveness of this? This is I gave a talk a few years ago, and uh, it's been done sort of. Um, I don't think it's been done formally, and I, I'm trying to get mm. people interested to do this. I, I think that would be amazing for people um, specifically addicted to benzos like clonazepam or clonopin, mm. like like the, because that is one of the most overprescribed drugs that yeah. was only intended to be on for like a couple of weeks, and people have been on it for years and years and years. Yeah, and it's like, I mean, the side effects of of coming off of it. Yeah. Um, topping that is like well, I mean, is, if, if you suicide, but um, like there's it, they're so harsh, but it and the other problem is that it takes so long to wean yourself off, like six months to a year, mm-hmm. um, to do it to do it properly and even probably in the shortest amount of time. And so, if you were doing this author, authorized, is it called authorized concealment? Concealment. Yeah. yeah, yeah. If if you were if you were doing that, it like and over the next like you told your your patient like you know over the next two to three, four years, we're going to do this concealment and slowly withdraw you from it. And then, and then like four years go by and you go, the patient goes into the doctor's office and says, okay, I just need my, my next uh, prescription filled. And they're like, oh, actually you're done. You don't need this anymore. Like you you're totally, you actually haven't you, been giving you any. Yeah. We've we you off this. <laughs> like like that you- would be, what a feeling that would be. Yeah, like, and, and but and but then you know that's why it's going to be very interesting to see what happens because you could even say I thought you were going to say oh you know it's been four years you've been coming here and well actually you haven't been on it for the last two years right yeah we weaned you off when you're yeah. giving sugar pills yeah you've been taking sugar pills right, right. and it, yeah. it brings up a lot of tricky ethical questions complicated mm. ones because mm. if the person's paying something for it you paying for nothing you know yeah. I think the person right. might be grateful but still right um, and also there's a possibility of some sort of rebound like it's possible. The person, wait a minute! I haven't been taking. You know, like it's possible. Right. I don't and all know. of a sudden, they're slammed with with like the the symptoms of yeah. 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 The, the the paying thing is easy because you just um, take their money and then put it into an account, and then you use that as an interest free loan as the company that's <laughs> been receiving that money, which is great for you. And then you pay them back, right. reimburse them the amount. <laughs> it's like it's like, bright idea. it's like a it. it's like a Tesla down payment, right? Like an interest free loan. <laughs> right. You buy the Tesla. That's great. If you don't, you get your money back. In the meantime, Tesla's funding all their development. Guys, it's a great I, idea. I, I know we've I know we've <laughs> talked about uh, like like morphine for pain, but are, are there other illnesses that that have a very like clear benefit to placebo? And if so, uh, what are those illnesses? And also, what are the what are the limitations there? Like how how far can this go? So I think let's start with limitations. I, I think that as we were talking about before, the idea that the whatever the condition is, has to be something that it's possible that it can be modified in some way psychologically. If that can't, you know, if that can't be done. So in other words, like it's, I think it's pretty unlikely that if someone has a, you know, malignant cancer of some sort that, you know, you're going to give placebo and that's going to be better than, you know, surgery or something. I, I don't, I don't, I don't think we're at all saying something like that. Generally speaking, conditions that are sort of have a kind of subjective quality to them so all of the psychiatric conditions anxiety and depression things like that Mm. Uh, and pain really which is even though it's of course for real there's real pain all these things are real Mm. but um you know obviously pain is important but other things are surprising like parkinson's disease has placebo Mm. which is amazing Mm. because of course parkinson's as a you know is is very much a you know a, a biological phenomenon uh, and yet, people can uh, benefit and have, re- you know, be- improve symptoms uh, on placebo, which is amazing. 
porn, Satan, drugs, therapy. It's not just the list of what I'm up to this weekend. I'm comedian Kiki Anderson, and those are just a handful of the taboo topics I've poked and prodded at so far on my podcast, Indecent, the show where we peel at the wallpaper of polite society. Each episode digs into the dark underbelly of our culture to dissect the things we aren't allowed to talk about around the dinner table, featuring conversations with comedians, activists, journalists, academics. They all help me figure out the who, what, and why behind what is and isn't acceptable behavior. Indecent with Kiki Anderson, where NSFW meets LMAO. Mwah. Where is where is placebo? Where is placebo? Where does placebo show up in our lives? Like outside of the realm of uh, outside of the realm of Ill, illness, like just as we kind of go through our day to day lives and 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 go through you know everyday experience, like how is placebo playing a role in the way that we live? This is a great question because I, I think once you start getting interested in placebo, you see it everywhere. Hmm. It's again, it's expanding the concept, right? So if we if you define placebo effect as you know only in medicine, well, it has, can only happen in medicine. But example, right? Remember when you, when you have a little kid and the kid falls down and scrapes his or her knee and goes to mom and mom blows on it or dad blows on it and kisses mm. the boo-boo and it makes it better, right? Mm. Isn't that a placebo effect? Right. Or puts on the special Band-Aid. It's not a regular plastic Band-Aid. It, you know, it has a Snoopy on it or some stars. Or something, <laughs> right. You know, and they get to choose that particular that's a kind yeah. of placebo effect. A security blanket. Yeah. Or um, when you go to see a medium and they insist that your um, dead relative is in the room trying to speak right. to you. Like, that's a placebo effect. Definitely some placebo <laughs> happening. Yeah. Yeah. They, they touched me. Yeah. <laughs> I felt them. Yeah. <laughs> oh, man, that's crazy. That is wild. I mean, you could say the same thing is true in, in, in education, right? If you, mm. you convince somebody somehow or other that they are you know, not able to do something or yeah. that they can do something academically, you know, that their frame, their frame, their mindset, there's, you know, makes a difference. Now, is that a placebo effect? Right. Interesting I mean, that you brought, that you bring up education. I, was, I saw something, I saw something, I sent it to you and uh, to you and Dennis the other day. Uh, it was a video. There's this amazing um, uh, science, uh, science YouTuber uh, channel called Veritasium. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's a, he's a, like a science education PhD um, has this huge channel. I highly recommend everybody go check it out. It's it's incredible. Really interesting. And uh, he did this video on how learning styles are a preferred learning styles are a are a myth, and there's really no there's really there's really no um no st- like stats or or data to back it up, and it's really just a hypothesis from a a, a teacher from New Zealand in the in the sixties or seventies mm-hmm. or something, and 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 it just became like really widely adopted that everybody has a preferred learning style visual uh, auditorial, whatever it is. And that in reality, everybody learns in every way. Somebody, people might learn better in a particular way, but if you give people tests and you give them the information based on their preferred learning style or one of their non-preferred learning styles, there's no difference in the test results that everybody sort of, Mm -hmm. everybody ends up learning and absorbing the information just the same way. Mm. Um, They might not enjoy it as much if they get it from a certain way, but they, they digest it and they understand it in the same way. Um, But I mean, the, um, the, the way that that could, that, that, that you would think that that is playing into, you know, someone, how someone goes, Oh, I learned from a, I learned visually, and then you know you give them everything is in everything is in reading and they have to read everything even though like I, I was actually kind of fascinated I guess that's kind of the reverse because I was expect I would have expected somebody to create an environment where they don't test as well 
because they've been given something. They have like a nocebo effect. Yep. But actually, the the opposite is is happening there, where then they actually they actually do just as well, even though they're not getting the information in the way well, that they wanted to. That that's interesting. I'm not an expert in that area, but um, I know the research you're talking about and that suggesting that you know different learning styles. Even though everyone and a lot of teachers, a lot of students believe that there are these learning styles, and mm-hmm. you know you have to sort of teach to that style to help yeah, that cater cater to the stay, students. You know, yeah. Uh, which make it makes, and it makes a lot of intuitive sense. It makes sense to us, but I, I know that research, I suspect like a lot of things, there's probably complexity here. Mm-hmm. The reality is that, uh, I think that I do think if you, if someone tells themselves, I'm, I'm just, I can't learn stuff by reading. I think that's going to hurt their performance to some degree. I, I right. bet there's some yeah. nuance to this, but I think that the general story is what you say that the research seems to suggest that, but again, I think it's a little bit probably a, a bit of a nocebo thing that the person just convinced. I, I teach statistics in, in, in social science and, you know, it's not everyone's favorite topic. Let's put it that way. <laughs> I can't tell you how many students, you know, say, I can't do this. You know, I right. you know, really can't. I mean, they just convinced they keep saying that over and over and trying to get people to stop saying that, you know, and, you know, mm. this is just another form of thinking, you know, and. And I talk about placebo effects with them, you know, to the degree, uh, you know, it's helpful about your, your mindset effects. If you have a mindset that mm. tells you you can't do it, it's going to be harder to do, of course. Yeah. Mm. I mean, psychologically speaking, I mean, it's, it is a, it is a, I, I, I don't get it that much because, because whether it's because of my upbringing or because of my, my friend circles and stuff. And I, and I, I know that you feel the same way about this, Brian, I would say, I would say for the, for the most part, you as well, Jer, like. I can't do that is not really part of the sphere of how I think I sort of live in this space where it's like, give me enough time and give me a, give me a good teacher and I can do like, you know, I could do whatever I, I, I want to do like, but how much of a psychological factor is involved in underperformance because you, you just from the outset that looks hard, that book looks thick. This might take the, you know, the time horizon for this is very long. Like something gets in the way that tells you that you won't be able to do it. And therefore you can't. Mm-hmm. This is a, there, there's, I don't know if you, there's a Stanford researcher called named Carol Dweck, who talks about something that's kind of gotten out there into the, into the public consciousness of a, a growth mindset mm-hmm. versus a fixed. fixed mindset. And, and, and she's applied it, especially to education and, and, you know, that some, if, if kids get the sense that, well, I you know, am a smart kid or I'm not a smart kid or, or, or even just that whatever level of smartness I have, it's kind of fixed just the way it is versus, you know, it can change. And, and you know, what you're talking about, the belief that that's my belief as an educator, that anybody can learn anything. You know, there's got to be a limit somewhere. But I, I think people really undersell their ability. It's a matter of you have to be interested enough and motivated enough and put mm. the time in and believe that you, you know, you can do it. And mm-hmm. I think if you start by saying, I, I don't believe I can do it, well, who's going to put the effort in? What's the point? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And if placebo and if placebo is worth, you know, at, you know conservatively 15%. And mm-hmm. sometimes far greater when you when you're mentioning the the opioid studies. I mean, like it's one of those things where if you when you look at society and you look at like where we allocate resources into like what we do, allocating resources into embedding the psychological b- belief in a, in the in the in the people that we teach and the kids that we teach could be you know the difference between between you know 
mediocre, mediocre grades or mediocre success in school mm. versus, you know, like a, a, a much higher degree of success Ooh. in learning coming it's, up. It's funny though, because it's more than just like telling them that they can do it and like convincing, like convincing someone like by saying, Oh, you're smart enough to do that. Or you're capable enough to do that. It's about like setting the bar at the perfect height that challenges them mm-hmm. to the point where they're like almost about to fail, but then they overcome it. Ooh. And then in them like overcoming or like succeeding at that task, then that's what gives the them like the positive them. reinforcement. Yeah. That's like, oh fuck, I, Next I time am capable, I can do it. right? And so, like, that's the hard like I that learning styles thing was really interesting because I've always seen myself as like a visual learner. But when I read something, I visualize it in my head, or like when I listen to something, I visualize it in my head. And so, I I think that I do learn in like a mixed style, but it's it's less about teaching in a certain s- style and more so teaching at a certain. I guess like setting the bars and expectations Ooh. at that right height for each. Because you'll take it and translate it into your way. Yeah, right. Just just to bring things back to placebo, have we have we touched on open open placebos yet? No, uh, that's another new area of research that has actually, you know, I would say is cutting edge, and there has been a lot of studies now of open placebos, including several by our group. Um, and the idea of open placebo is again to try to figure out is there a way to use this placebo effect. We know that if you deceive patients, that you can you know, increase the, uh, uh, you know, can, can make them respond to a, uh, uh, to a placebo with, with some kind of good response and can change uh, even the effect of an active medicine. So the idea was, is there a way to give placebos honestly and without deception? And our group did the first study. It was in irritable bowel syndrome, so you know, which is very common gastrointestinal mm-hmm. difficulty. A lot of people, ten percent or so, of the population has it. And um, we uh, told people we gave them placebo, and we told them that they were getting the placebo, mm-hmm. and uh, treated them, and they showed improvement compared to a control group that didn't get placebo. And um, and what's interesting about it, though, is that we didn't give them placebo and we didn't say to them, here's a placebo. There's nothing in it. Good luck. <laughs> you yeah. know, it doesn't have any effect, right? And instead, we gave them a, a bit of a rationale, not as long as our conversation today, but some degree of discussion of the mind-body connection, Ooh. this Pavlov's dog idea of, you know, conditioning, um, and, and and some instructions of how, what they needed to do. So, for example, it was very important that they take the pill consistently mm. and uh that it was okay that they have some degree of doubt but to the degree they could also have some positive expectancy that could be helpful you know we, we didn't try to oversell it so you have to be you know believe this is going to work not at all but but just to have an open mind to this being being possible and we think that that sort of um that sort of spiel you could call it this sort of description is part of the benefit you know the, the placebo effect so is, is really the actual like physical action of doing the thing, yeah. like playing a big part in that? So like, you know, it, what we, the reason why you tell them like you must take the pill every day at noon or whatever, like yes. that, that, that plays such an important role in tricking the body or tricking the mind. Yeah, yeah. I, I, I'm glad you brought that because I wanted to get the conversation in that direction as well, which is that we've been talking a little bit about conscious expectancies of one sort of another. Like in your mind, you think, OK, I'm taking a pill. And I'm going to get better. You know, you have this kind of conscious, clear expectancy. But we also know, of course, that animals can show placebo effects, even mm. pretty simple animal, animal effect. It's uh, pretty simple animal. 
And so it, it can't be a completely conscious, you know, uh, verbalizable thing. Right. You know? mm. And so we, and, and again, a lot of this has to get teased out. That's why this, you know, like the professors, they can go on forever, right? You know, there's all these mm. details that can be teased out, but what are the essential components of this placebo effect? And so, you know, there's some degree of evidence that, for example, little small pills or really big pills are better than medium-sized pills. <laughs> Probably because a really small pill is, wow, it must be really powerful that it's in such a little small capsule, you know? Right, and right. a really big pill, I'm getting a big dose of whatever the heck this stuff is. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And, you know, and um, the color may have some input in, impact on people. Huh. Wait, you just, oh, but you wild. just said you just said even really simple animals can exhibit like the benefits of placebo. How, how do they study that? Like, how do you how do you know that? <laughs> I, I, should, I should say because I, this is using the, the term placebo rather broadly. You know, um, right. so you know, like for example, Pavlov's Pavlov's dog. It's like a placebo effect. You know? mm-hmm. right? It's right. It's salivating. It's think it's going to get. It, it, you're changing its physiology with a bell, which has nothing to do normally with a dog's right. physiology. Mm. I don't mean it's not exactly the same thing, but you could imagine. So you can you, you can so long as the organism can perceive some sort of neutral stimulus, and pair that with something good, whatever that good might be, you can get the organism to sort of then respond to that good thing. You know, when you train right, your right. dog, you're doing this all the time. Yeah, right. yeah, totally. It, it's it's interesting because you can train to do certain things. <laughs> the, 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 because like get a halfway... to sit and stay <laughs> and get uh, it, in my belly. It's funny because like halfway through this conversation, I was like, "Whoa, placebo just really goes to show like how powerful the mind is." And then like on the other hand, I'm like. But is it really just the power of the mind? And the the interesting thing, though, is in terms of like that, the power of the mind thing is I think of like routines in the morning and you always hear like the most successful people, quote unquote, uh, do these like meditate in the morning and like read a book before breakfast and like do all this <laughs> shit that is like once you're once you've like set your mindset up for success for the day, you're going to be super successful. And if and, you don't, you won't. And and but like uh, now I'm kind of thinking like I should be meditating more because. Yeah, well, it's like it's, that idea of making like, your bed like when you yeah. wake up, make your bed. You have a nice, tidy, tidy bed. Like the rest of your day will be nice and tidy, and like, and, and it wasn't until I started making my bed in the morning where I went, feels good, right? Yeah, damn, that does uh, that does kind of change my day. I, I I'm wondering, like, all this talk about the effectiveness of placebo, um, and uh, you know, talking about you know, fifty percent uh, effectiveness sometimes in 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 studies like you were talking about earlier. How much how much does placebo, in the sense of of like a drug study? How much does placebo like fuck up the stats <laughs> that oh, they're that right, yeah okay yeah no, like like dude dude it is placebo kind of a pain in the ass for for drug companies and and people huge. doing the research yeah huge huge I mean so like this is a great a great topic to, to go to uh, so for things like uh, opioids it's not a problem if you want to show an opioid opioid is better than placebo even though I've I said you can you know you can manipulate make placebos work et cetera et cetera but you know there's a big difference. Opioids right. work. And yeah. no matter what you do, uh, well, I, I, well, that's actually, no, I, let me come back to that. <laughs> there are some things you can do. We did an experiment. It's kind of complicated. We'll come back to that. But, but, um, <laughs> but, uh, but things like psychiatric medicines are remarkably, well, the, 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 like for dep- antidepressants, I, I hate to say this because so many people are on antidepressants, you know, half, you know, so many people, mm. but, 
the, the, the about 80% of the effect of antidepressants, like, so if you have a, the, the people get the real antidepressants, the people get the placebo in randomized control trials, people get the placebo, do about 80%, you know, get about 80% the benefit of the, of the real drug. Wow. Which is a huge amount. Yeah. And it makes it very hard to show that the drug is better than, even if the drug does work, it's hard to show it's better than placebo. Mm-hmm. Right. And how does it, and how does that then affect, like, even, like this, like the, I mean, I feel like we could just like enter into an endless time loop because it's like, well, then if you say that and then somebody listens to this and they're on antidepressants and then they go, holy shit, <laughs> maybe my antidepressant doesn't Am work. Am I only, and I don't mean that by like yeah. them going, oh, I need to get off the drug or anything, but like, does then that, like, how does that knowledge that they are, that most of the benefit that they're getting from taking that drug is, is, it could be got by placebo and, and you know it's how does that then affect the effectiveness of the of the part of the drug that is working for that's them? something to be very worried about actually you know and and when this has been this wasn't really widely known until maybe 20 years ago somewhere in that range you know um the fact that uh, there wasn't really that big of a difference but the thing i think which is very important to say is it was complicated I, mean, yeah, I think knowing that could be a problem i agree However, that's a pretty small thing. Hearing me on the ra- on the radio uh, is is very small compared to the rest of a person's experience. You know, they're right. psychiatrists, they, you know, the whole world of advertising. There's so much, and so probably that's not necessarily going to have a big effect on people. Um, Should we cut but, this part out just in case? Yeah. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> just preserve a bit of a bit yeah. a bit of someone's SSRI. Hope. I yeah. think sad to say, I think psychiatrists, uh, you know, might want us to cut it out. Actually, but yeah, right. the point is, I don't. I'm not saying that they don't they don't work. I, I'm saying that people get better. They definitely get better. Yeah. The right. issue is how much of it is the is the how much of it is is the properties of the drug. Yeah. And how much of it is expectancies and mm-hmm. passage of time? There are all kinds of things that, you know, what happens in the rest of your life? I mean, one of the things about placebo is that part of the placebo effect, what are you going to call it, is not any, and not, none of this stuff we've been talking about so far. Mm-hmm. If you take people, they come into a randomized controlled trial, they're sick, they're feeling not so good. And if it's something like depression, depression is something that waxes and wanes, it gets better and it gets worse. And lots of things happen in your life. You know, you get a breakup, you find a new person, you lose a job, you get a job, Mm. you know, good things and bad things happen. You start exercising, you change your diet. I mean, there's a million things that happen. And so some fraction of people are going to get better because you picked a whole bunch of people already pretty sick, right? And some fraction are going to get better no matter what you do. Right, Mm -hmm. right. And then an additional fraction are going to get better because of this placebo effect thing we're talking about. And then a, a smallish fraction, something like for the antidepressants, around 20, 20% of the benefit seems to be the physiological benefit of the drug. And even that, there's debate about. I could get into that. But, um, and I guess the question is, what do we do with that knowledge? You know, And that's mm. why we were very interested. Could, you know, one of the suggestions, way, 1995, a long time ago, a guy named Walter Brown, a psychiatrist, was the first person to suggest open placebo. And we we did our trial, our first trial, I think in 2010. So it took 15 years or so to, to right. get someone to actually do it. And it wasn't even in depression. I, I did a trial in depression as well, a small one. But um, but Brown said, basically, look, we know that people get better on placebos frequently in these randomized controlled trials. For people who are not suicidal, people you know who are doing okay, but you know struggling a lot, you could just ask them, 
open placebo. Mm. If you'd like to try this, this might work, you know, and, and give them a rationale for why it would work. Mm. And if it doesn't work, we can always go to lots of things, therapy, exercise, diet, you know, antidepressants, you know, everything that mm-hmm. a lot of options, but to allow people the choice. What was the what was the hesitancy? Why what what was the, the the hesitancy in 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 trying that? That's a great question. I I'm not a psychiatrist, so I can't say for sure, but I am a psychologist. My suspicion is that I think that there's I mean this is it, I think it's threatening to tell yeah. you the truth. In psychiatry, you know, a lot of people who are psychiatrists refer to themselves as psychopharmacologists, right. which means they don't do a lot of therapy. They basically, you know, and they're very good at what they do. I'm, I'm not knocking them and I'm not saying that people, many people do benefit, you know? Right. They're like mind physicians. Yeah. Like they're, and, like they're, and, they're, and they're, they're there the to diagnose is, and prescribe. And I think the idea is that if, if a lot of the benefit could be done through placebo, well, what's my job then? Right. Ooh. Yeah. And, right. and I, I, but again, I don't think, I don't think this placebo benefit would work unless of the, the rest of the context, you know, you're going to a doctor, they have diplomas on the wall that, you know, uh, you respect them. There's a relationship I haven't even started talking about, but I think a lot of the effect of placebos is the relationship that you have yeah. with your doctor or yeah, nurse, totally. or whoever yeah. it is. Mm-hmm. It, re- it re- reminds me though, of like the three of us are all yoga teachers and, oh. uh, and like, like the power of reciting a mantra or like it, there's, um, there's this really great set of, uh, stoic meditations, um, that you can do as well. And like, like these, these like mantras that you repeat daily in the morning and like start to like think about these things when, when you repeat them and they become like part of like your sort of from go from being a conscious thought to being like a subconscious through your day, like they're, they can be very powerful. And so like Mm. just the idea of even taking, a pill like if it's a sugar pill and you take it at the same time every day and you think like this is going to make me feel better this is going to make me feel better this is going to make me feel better yeah like i can see how that would help you feel like could help some people feel better and that's why we you know in the in this sort of spiel that we give folks we tell them it's important you know if you want to give this a good shot it's important you take we usually have them do it twice a day at least right Uh, morning Mm -hmm. and night Two pills, even though it's placebo, but two pills twice a day. There's a ritual that's got to remember. And I also think not only they might think this could help me, but also they'd start saying, hmm, you know, like they start paying attention to hmm. their symptoms. I, maybe I feel a little bit better here. You know, maybe this is starting to work. I'm sure okay. this is very complex, you know, what's going on. Mm-hmm. But I like what you're saying about the idea that there's a way in which I'm like, a, a, there's another area of psychology I'm very interested in called embodied cognition. Normally, people think about cognition thinking as being separate from our bodily state, but they are much more, I think, tightly entwined with one another. Mm -hmm. And part of this action, you know, almost like the mantra you were talking about, part of this action in taking the pill multiple times a day repeatedly, I think, is part of its benefit. And Mm -hmm. it's not the first time you've taken pills, right? I mean, we, we take pills for you know, lots of things that we think will help us. You're, you're totally right to now, now that we're having this conversation, I'm, I'm thinking of all the placebos that I know about in my life. And, uh, I think of, um, my mom had a, she was pretty outspoken about this a few years ago when she went through it, but she went through this like pretty bad mental health crisis. Um, and then was diagnosed with cancer and it was just really hard, challenging time for her. And she, um, was saw a therapist for a bit of time. And like, at that point she changed like her email address and like her passwords to all of her accounts and stuff to be these like sort of like positive reinforcement things. Mm. Like 
Um, I'm not going to tell you what her passwords are and stuff, guys. Obviously, because <laughs> okay. I don't want to. I don't want to dox my mom on the I podcast. I was going to ask, but now but, that you uh, said that, I'll keep but, it to myself. But like, they're these really like sweet sentiments and like and with like uppercase and lowercase and numbers and stuff and like and but like those I guess have helped her yeah. remember like all of the important sweet things in her life in these times and it's kind of like this nice I little mean, placebo. I mean, you sort of like you 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 notice as you get older how important structure is. You know, like how, at, you know, when we were, when we were in our, you know, teens and early twenties, it was like, you know, fuck structure. I want, I want a life where chaos, where everything is different every day and yeah. I'm constantly adapting and nothing's ever the same and everything's exciting and never boring. Especially then, with ADHD. And then as you get, <laughs> yeah. and then as you get older, you're like, man, I crave the structure of, and you, you touched on it with making your bed like that. Nothing's tangibly better because you made your bed. No. It's just like slightly. It just looks better, which which your which fits with your mind, and yeah. then that helps your mind. And you've got this structure, and then you know when structure starts to disintegrate, your mindset starts to Ooh. starts to starts to wane, and you know you start to question more, and you're not as sure of yourself, and you might like retract socially a little bit. Yeah. It has all these effects. It's like the structure of your life is like providing this positive placebo like all the time that you've yeah. that you've been able to maintain this like this little box of 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 things that i do every day that like reinforce the way that i walk through and the then world. you do psychedelics and you're like holy shit gotta change <laughs> this everything shit has to change <laughs> yeah, now yeah. <laughs> I, I think that i think that is one of my favorite kind of takeaways from this entire conversation which is that you know, placebo has its place in, in medicine and, and, and can be very effective and very powerful. But also, you know, in listening to this right now, I'm sure there's folks out there that have been just considering how placebo plays a role in their day-to-day -day life and, and how there really are these like active ways that we can like incorporate the placebo effect into the way we live our life day-to-day. Day -day. Mm -hmm. And there's something very... um there's something very kind of inspiring about that. I I, I do want I I do want to ask like are we conflating like a positive mindset with placebo too much here or or is it kind of synonymous? I I think it is. I mean I I wrote an an article about this topic and trying to figure out how do, how are these different ideas connect to each other? You know, mm. and, and where do you draw the line? You know, and it's like language in general. I think the words the placebo effect or even the word the placebo expands and contracts depending on how people use the word over time. But I think in general, it usually means something to do with medicine. You know, um, mm. I, I wanted to circle to one, I think, interesting thing that you were saying about how the people listening to this podcast might think, well, you know, can I change my mindset if you want to use that term mm -hmm. um, to benefit myself, you know, because of, and I think one of the things that is weird about placebo, again, it's sort of strangeness is that it also has this very negative connotation. You know, doctors are, are fooling people, deceiving people. Mm. Uh, maybe only gullible people, you know, are uh, responsive, you know, to placebo. Mm. You could make that, you could say that, you know. Um, uh, it's all in my head. It's not real, you know, whatever the problem is, which is not what I'm saying. But I think it's easy to have that negative kind of connotation. And I see it very much in the, the other way around. Mm. More positive, it's a way that, you know, it turns out that lots of stuff in our life, like making our bed, like the environment in which you find yourself or choose to put yourself in, makes a difference. Like I'll give yeah. you one quick uh, uh, anecdote. 
there's a great study a long time ago now uh, where they were looking at patients after surgery. And basically the only manipulation was in one condition, they were in rooms that basically I think faced a parking lot or a brick wall, something, you know, un uninspiring. And the other had a view of nature. And the patients who were in the rooms with the room of, uh, with the view of nature tended to get out of the hospital quicker. No mm. one told them this is the best room. No one said to them, you should feel differently, you know, or anything, but the, you know, and we all had this experience, right? Getting outside in nature, uh, being in the right kind of ambience. You don't even necessarily know of it consciously. And I guess it would be to try to be more conscious of that and mm -hmm. do things, you know, like yeah. exercise and, Mm -hmm. I did a, uh, I, I, I don't know if I talked to you guys too much about it, but I did some research for a, a video to, to put up on YouTube and it was about, um, hospitals around the world that have like features to them that, uh, are kind of unique to that hospital and, you mm. know, like no, you know, nowhere else really has this mm. and, um, and like a petting zoo or, or like a or giant aquarium. Yeah, well, yeah, yeah, one was uh, you know, one was that there was um <laughs> that there was like a like a really really incredibly like museum level curated art gallery. Ooh. Oh, cool. Um, and then one was one that had uh, like greenhouses where you could take um mm. like botany classes and stuff like that, and they were all like there accessible to patients who could like who could who were like physically able, and obviously they were very accessible in that way. Mm -hmm. And and. They all, they all, all the hospitals that had these features, they all spoke to the, um, to the like well being of the patients right. that, 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 that this that, thing brought to them. Yeah. Like that, mm. that it like it lifts. So if somebody was in there chronically, then it lifted their spirits and gave them like a better sense of their experience of being, mm. of being right. ill. It's like the difference of like the children's hospital here to yeah. the adult hospital. Yeah. It's like one has like painted colorful was, walls and the yeah. other one is just fucking just beige. But, it, that, but yeah. it also, but for people that were, you know, passing through the hospital and would be leaving because they are, you know, they're what they're injured or something and their injury heals and they leave the hospital. It accelerated the time at right. which they spend in the hospital. I'm Ooh. sure it's got to be like nice, but not too nice though, too, because then people just get comfortable. <laughs> right. yeah. Yeah. They want to stick yeah. around. Yeah. They don't want to stay there. <laughs> well, John, I got to say, uh, your, your work is fascinating. I feel like you have a lifetime of work ahead of you in terms of placebo and how it works. Cause it just seems to be the 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 kind of subject that uh that is endless in terms of the research that can be done there and i want to thank you for taking time out of your busy schedule to sit down with us and to open our eyes to the the positive note that placebo has um and and the effects that it can have on folks around the world this has been really fun thank you so much Thank you guys so much for having me. It's really fun for me as well. It was a pure pleasure. Thank you. Yeah, right. Thanks. Awesome. Thanks, John. That is it for today. Thank you so much, everybody, for tuning in. If you like what you heard, make sure that you share our podcast with your friends. We love those extra ears. Sick Boy Podcast is a Snack Labs production. It is produced by myself, Jeremy Saunders, Taylor McGilvery, Brian Stever, and Lauren Sankey. Sound design is coming to you from Donovan the Meerkat Morgan. The music of the show is from our friend Rich O'Coin. And Sick Boy Podcast is managed by Jeffrey Lonis. That is it for today. I'm Brian. I'm Taylor. And I'm Jeremy. And this is Sick Boy. 
For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.